Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Kerry Parker, and we've, today we've got part two of our uh, very interesting interview with Adam Levin. He is the author of the book Swiped, How to Project Yourself in a World Full of Scammers, Fishers, and Identity Thieves. So uh, last week in part one, if you haven't heard that, you might want to go back and check that one out first. Uh, it's not necessary, but it, it might make more sense in chronological order. Uh, we talked about kind of what is identity theft and what is the, the kind of the spectrum of ways in which your identity can be stolen. And it was really quite wide. It was actually, uh, there were some, some interesting stories that Adam told uh, that I had not heard of before about ways in which people have their identity stolen. It's, it's more than just credit card theft or, you know, maybe you know, opening a credit card or a loan in someone else's name. Um, and that sort of thing. There's, there's healthcare identity theft, which I'd not even considered, where someone actually pretends to be you in order to tap into your health benefits. As just one example, there's uh, there were several others that we covered. So it was really quite interesting. We also talked a little bit about, you know, how exactly, you know, practically speaking, does someone go about stealing someone else's identity? Uh, for instance, we talked about card skimming, uh, which is this extremely clever hack where the bad guys find a way to insert a little scanner, a skimmer, into things like ATM machines or um, the the card swiping things at gas pumps that fit generally inside or maybe sometimes on top of to kind of give a fake front to these places where you would normally skim your debit or credit card such that they can pull the information off the card and then if it's a, as you enter the PIN, in the case of a debit card or an ATM card, they hide a little camera somewhere so they can actually see what you're punching in on the on the buttons and either and store that information for later pickup. It, it's really amazingly clever. And um, so we talk about, you know, things like that and the kind of the nuts and bolts of identity theft in the first episode. Uh, and then we lead right up to and stop short of uh, talking about how you deal with identity theft. And where we left off was what we call the three M's or what Adam, what Adam calls the three M's which are minimize your exposure, monitor your accounts, and manage the damage. So in today's episode, we're going to pick up there where we left off, and we're going to talk about uh, the three M's and what you can do to prevent and or deal with identity theft after the fact. Now, we've had two interview shows in a row, and there's been all sorts of things in the news. I even had to cover one last week a little bit just because I didn't want to wait uh, another two weeks to cover it. But there's been plenty of things going on, including yet another Facebook scandal or two, uh, there's been an Outlook data breach and another kind of a convoluted technical story that you probably didn't pick up on anywhere that I'm going to try to go through because I think it's important about some kind of technical aspects to the way web browsers work that track you and how apparently a lot of web browser companies, including potentially Firefox, which just blows my mind, giving up and letting it happen. So anyway, we'll talk about all that uh, in next week's show. But since we left you hanging last week, let's uh, let's get right back to it and let's hear about Adam Levin's three M's. All right, so you mentioned the three M's, and that's perfect timing because I wanted to get into those. Let's 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 break those apart a little bit and let's talk about each of those in turn. Uh, so first of all, minimize your exposure. So what are some concrete steps that people can take to protect their identity? Um, uh, you had several in your book, but if you had to give a you know, top three, top five, what what would you recommend people do to minimize their exposure? Well, first of all, use complex passwords mm-hmm. if you're worried that you can't remember them, and most humans can't, justifiably so. Use a password manager. Mm-hmm. Not all are perfect. Some have been breached, but in general, 
Many are very good. Many use top-level encryption. Uh, they also have the capacity to create new passwords for you, uh, which is a very important thing. So mm -hmm. they keep changing them up. Uh, never share the same password across platforms. Mm. Never use the same password you use in your private life, in your business life, mm. because you could bring down yourself and everyone around you. Mm -hmm. Two-factor authentication. Uh, in particular, it's probably better to use a code going to a cell phone than security questions, unless you lie really well mm -hmm. and you change it up. Um, but remember that even in that world, it's not a perfect world because your cell phone could get simjacked, which means that yeah. someone basically transfers your information to another device so you don't get the call as part of two-factor authentication. They do. Right. So also, never, ever, ever authenticate yourself to anyone who contacts you by way of email uh, or phone call or even your uh, through a text Never authenticate yourself to someone. Only authenticate yourself when you have actually uh, commenced the interaction. You're in control of it. And it is not illogical for someone to want to know you're you for your protection. Right. Uh, freeze your credit. Not the silver bullet. It's all. It's free now. Yeah, that's great. As a result of the new federal law. But understand the fact that it won't protect you against somebody stealing an existing account and right. then running it up. Or... Uh, medical identity theft, or in many cases, child-related identity theft, criminal identity theft, tax-related identity theft, they're still going to be out there, but it does protect you in terms of people opening new accounts in your name. Secure your mobile devices. Uh, when you're setting up questions and answers, lie like a superhero. Don't, don't use facts that anyone can find by looking you up on social media. Try as hard as it is on social media not to share every morsel of your life. <laughs> right. It is better to share the experience after you've returned than do it in real time where someone can figure out two things, where you are and de facto where you're not. Right. You're not home. Right. Right. Yeah, the social media aspect, boy, that's still, that's still something. One of the stories that uh, I always loved to tell in class was John McAfee. And how he was on the lam, he was in Belize, I think it was, and was uh, being sought after in relation to some murder or something, uh, something like that, I believe. And the authorities were looking for him. And somehow he managed to get this interview uh, with, with an online magazine that took a picture of him. And they posted the picture, but the picture still had the EXIF date in it, which has longitude and latitude. There you go. And, they, and, that's, how they, and that's how they nabbed him. But, but now that brings up another point, too, is disable location services. Uh, because location services can can pinpoint you. And I tell parents all the time, I know that you desperately want to show pictures of little Susie at her second birthday. <laughs> but unfortunately, if you say this, look, well, here we are celebrating little Susie's second birthday. If you haven't disabled location services, they now know Susie's name, Susie's age, the park where you're celebrating her yeah. birthday, and they might look at other pictures and find out you're at that park a lot. And then they show up at that park and say, yeah. Susie, I'm so sorry that I missed your birthday. I have a special present for you. Mommy said it was okay. Can you come with me for a second? Mm. Then yeah. little Susie becomes a picture on a milk carton. Oof, you don't yeah. want that. 
Well, one of the other things you've mentioned that I love, and I also love to tell the, my uh, my students this, is to lie. And that is, and it's not, first of all, there's there's the security questions, which hopefully you're kind of going by the wayside, but there's no reason right. to give those, to give, to give real answers. And I've, even to the point of, you know, if you have a hard time remembering your lies, I would, you know, sometimes I say, well, just put not in front of all your answers. You know, there you, what, go. <laughs> you know, just something, some, something you'll remember, but anybody who actually knows the real answer will never get correct. But it goes beyond that. And I think you mentioned this in the book too. And, and that is when you're signing up for services, they say, well, you know, what is your age? A lot of times all I really need to know is that you're not a minor. So right. as long as you make up any date that makes you over 18, that's fine. Now, I realize there are people out there that desperately need four million birthday congratulatory notes. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, as long as they get the month and the date, maybe semi near, you can live with that. Right. Or how fun could it be to spread your birthday all over the year? Maybe you could, maybe you could just spread it out and get little gifts all around the year. Well, you could have a whole thing where it's called not birthday presents. <laughs> right. Unbirthday, a merry unbirthday. Just, just keep in mind, Batman doesn't run around telling people he's Bruce Wayne and vice versa. Right. And other than Lois Lane, nobody really knows who Superman is. So therefore, just think of lie like a superhero and let that be your guiding light. <laughs> All right. So uh, M number two, uh, how do you monitor your accounts? Uh, what, what's the best way to, to, to monitor? What, what steps do you take and recommend people to, do to, to kind of keep an eye on things? Well, first of all, Go to annualcreditreport.com and get a copy of your credit report from each of the three bureaus. In some states, it's required more than once a year. In, I believe, Georgia, it's twice a year. Mm. So states have different requirements. Also, if you can sign up for programs where you have access on an almost continual basis to your credit reports, that's not a bad idea. Mm -hmm. Know where your credit scores are. Mm. Because if your credit score takes a sudden, precipitous, unexplained drop, it's either because you didn't pay a bill, you need to know that, you're using way too much of your available credit, you need to know that, or you're a victim of identity theft, you really need to know that. Mm -hmm. Sign up for transactional monitoring alerts that alert you every time there's activity in your accounts because millions of credit and debit cards are sold, billions, or tens of millions, on the dark web by zip code in an effort to evade bank tracking systems. So therefore, your bank may miss it, but if you get a notification, even though it could be a little bit of a pain in the butt, check it, because you may find out it's not you. Right. When you get an explanation of benefit statement from your health insurer, check it. It may turn out that you look at it and go, I don't even know who that doctor is, or I wasn't even in Missouri when I was supposedly visiting my doctor in Missouri. Right. Uh, and then you notify your, your, your provider and your insurer. Uh, also, more sophisticated forms of monitoring programs that monitor not just your credit, but they monitor your identity. Is What's your social security number doing? It's like, it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your social security <laughs> number is? Um, also, when you get your credit report, this is not one of those things where you go, hey, I got my credit report. Or the LifeLock commercial where he goes, there's a holdup. Help save us, he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just a monitor. There's a holdup. Mm. Don't just say, I got my report. Look at it. Read it. See if there's anything in there that you've never seen before. See if your birth date's correct. If there's an address in there uh, where you supposedly previously lived where you never lived yeah. or an employer you've never heard of. These are, you know, these are low-hanging fruit that could really help you a great deal. So be sensitive to that. So that's that's really the second M. So, and how 
how important it is is it to catch identity theft early? Like, can you can you minimize the impact if you are on it quickly? Like, does it? I assume it can probably just get worse. It can always get worse. But is is it important to jump on it in, to, in a certain amount of time? It, it's critical to do about it as quickly as possible. Now, if it's an account takeover, depending upon what it is that was taken over, like for instance, if you fail to report the takeover of your ATM or bank account for a prolonged period of time, at some point the bank's going to go, hey, dude, <laughs> bottom line is, uh, come on, somebody's been in and out of this account an awful lot, mm-hmm. and you never said anything. So you know what? Time's up. Mm-hmm. Uh, with credit cards, it's it's good to know as fast as possible, not because of the zero liability issue, but because they could run up your account pretty quick. So when you go to use it, suddenly it's unavailable or your score is impacted because you're using right. way too much of your credit, which wasn't you. Right. And medical is really important because it could impact limits on insurance policies. Mm. You could end up with medical debts that you're not aware of, and they only come to your attention because you end up getting a call from a debt collector. Wouldn't it be nice to kind of know a little bit earlier that you have a problem so you can start looking into it and contacting people before – I mean, there have been cases where people have been denied procedures when they mm. went to get pre-certified because the procedure had already been done <laughs> and nobody said anything about wow. it. Wow. Okay, third and final M. Um, <laughs> how do you mitigate the damage? Once, once, As you said, it, you could just assume it's going to happen at some point in your life, so we all have to deal with this at some point. Once it has happened, you, 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 all your defenses were breached, now what? How do, you, how do you mitigate the damage after the fact and how do you recover? Well, there's two ways. One is you can do it yourself, which if you, again, as we talked about earlier, depending upon when you go up the food chain on different forms of identity theft, is something as simple as making a call and having a credit or debit card number changed. But once it starts moving up that food chain, you really have to think about having help from a professional, especially when you get into... You wake up and suddenly find there are 40 new accounts in your name, Mm. and you say to yourself, I don't know how I'm going to do my job, take care of my family, spend time with my family, and deal with this thing, which is a recurring nightmare, or medical identity theft, where your life could be in danger. Hmm. Because there have been cases with medical identity theft, depending upon the facility, where the information of the thief or the client of the thief was commingled with the information of the victim. And all of a sudden, blood types changed. Mm. Allergies disappeared. New allergies appeared. Treatments were prescribed based on allergies that were identified in the files. So that can be very dangerous. So the sooner you find out, the better. If it's an issue with your social security number, you have to say to yourself, this is going to be a recurring issue. Like when someone becomes a victim of tax fraud or tax-related identity theft, and let's say they wore, they solve it with the IRS. They get the PIN number, the IRS works it out, they get the refund. This is not a moment for you to say, ah, fine, it's over. You have to remember, if they had enough of your information to file a false tax return, they have enough of your information to open new accounts in your name, to perform medical right. identity theft on you, to do criminal identity theft with you. So that's why you need to get on it as fast as possible. And oftentimes you need a professional. So 
a lot of people don't realize because a lot of companies that offer this are not really good at letting their clients, customers, members, employees, uh, policyholders know about it. But many insurance companies, financial services organizations, and employers, employers now, mm. have identity protection services hmm. available in some cases as a perk of your relationship for free. Oh. Or at a deeply discounted price. Right. So what you need to do, ask your insurance agent, your bank or credit union rep, or the HR department where you work, do you have a program that'll help me weather an identity incident or even that offers me monitoring or whatever? Am I in it? If not, what do I need to do to become part of it? Is it free? Is it deeply discounted or what? But at least you'll know and then you can make the decision, if you're not in it, that you want to get in it and you're willing to have them deduct from your paycheck or whatever way that they do it. And these these uh, insurance programs, and I, 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 CyberScout offers something like this as well, yes? Yeah, CyberScout is, is the designated identity theft service provider for approximately 200 insurance companies around the country. And so is it, can you, as a pre-existing condition, can you get this insurance after the fact? Well, generally the way they take it, it's, it's, it's not really viewed. It, it's more and more organizations when they offer it say, we want to help you if you have a problem, if you're having a problem. In the old days, it was like, and you know, some of the policies were very specific, which is, this is something that will only help you with if it occurs after we're on there. Other institutions go, hey, you're a customer of this institution. We've paid these guys to take care of you. Use the service. It's available to you. And an interesting thing, you know, a lot of people say, so explain to me why a company would offer employees identity protection service. Well, two reasons. One, there is nothing more dangerous to a company than a distracted employee because they're dealing with an identity theft. Mm. And number two, if it's an employee who has been compromised because of an identity theft and, oh, by the way, just happens to have access to the systems of mm -hmm. that company, mm -hmm. the company would kind of like to make sure that employee is okay and taken care of. And in some cases, depending upon the, the, the arrangement, the company may say, you're covered, but you have to let us know if you're having an incident where user ID and password has been compromised. Sure. So what are, the, what are the, the worst lingering effects? Obviously, the immediate impacts are about, you know, calling your credit card companies or and saying these were these charges weren't mine or or calling the loan companies to say I didn't open this loan, you know, and kind of the immediate you know impact of whatever was drawn in your name. But then the lingering impacts, I would assume, would be things like your credit history. Um, and now, as you said, your Social Security number, you, have, you now know for a fact is compromised. So what you know? Once you kind of dealt with the immediate aftermath, what 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 are the main things that people deal with on an ongoing basis, and how long does it really take to kind of to kind of clean that up and get back to some sense of normalcy? It, it again depends on what it is. Uh, if it was just a credit card, that's pretty quick. If it's a debit card, it can be quick. It might not be quick, depending upon how complicated uh, your financial situation is, how many accounts you have what that particular card gave someone access to, and if they were so clever, they found ways of getting additional information. 
Um, if it's, for instance, your email address, uh, don't immediately assume, eh, you know, I, I got to figure it out. I monitor my email. People have to remember that oftentimes as part of your logon credentials, your email address is a prominent feature, mm-hmm. not just for one specific place, but in many places. Right. So you really have to become much more alert to that. That's why two-factor authentication is so critical. That you know, at least that gives you kind of an ongoing alert. Yeah. Uh, some of the more sophisticated monitoring programs even have what's called "me not me," which mm-hmm. means that you're notified anytime an attempt is made using your. A sensitive mm. information to open an account in your name so that you can press the magic red button that says not me which will set off alarms and whistles and mm-hmm. bells and and that's important but the problem is once they have your social security number and you have to assume if you're living in the United States there's a pretty close to 90% shot they got it with all of the breaches that we've endured right. yeah. that this is something that is good this is like cancer With cancer, you may think you got it, you may even be in remission, but you may wake up and realize it's back. Mm. And with a social security number, its expiration date is theoretically your expiration date. (laughs) But there have been a lot of cases where people have used the identities of people who have passed away because they didn't get on the social security death index on time or no one was really minding the store. And so as a result... This is an ongoing recurring problem that requires you to be on high alert at all times and never to assume that if you see something that doesn't feel right, that it's simply somebody made a mistake. Now, is it possible, and I've heard that it is, but it's extremely difficult, but do you know, can you get a new social security number? I would say that you have a better chance of achieving world peace. (laughs) Or that Donald Trump will become a progressive Democrat than you do <laughs> of being able to change uh, your social security number. <laughs> All right. And that does actually segue into my last couple of questions. And that yeah. is politics and government and regulations. Is there what is the role in your mind for for government in terms of because it really seems like the U.S. has been lax in this regard. And it, there has been a lot of things after GDPR in Europe. And some of the other privacy laws and other data protection laws, it seems like we're finally kind of maybe ramping up to think about, uh, you know, passing some data protection laws in the U.S. But in your mind, what what does that look like? What's the role of government here and what, what, what would common sense regulation look like? Well, a lot of people have said, you know, if we could just come up with a set of standards mm. as a starting point True. to say, hey, listen, these are the now we have NIST in this country. Mm-hmm. And NIST is used for all of the various uh, protected infrastructures around the country, whether you're talking about now election security, they're starting to apply it to that, uh, to uh, the power grid, to the financial grid, to things like that. Um, But we, well, first of all, we have to have a set of standards, but we have to also understand that whatever standard we create could be obsolete. Mm. By the time we create it, because the evolution of technology Mm -hmm. is so rapid that oftentimes security never quite catches up with the technology because every time we think we solved a problem, somebody figures out a way around it. And it's not like we're dealing with, you know, a small group of guys sitting around a bar. We're talking about facing off against Russia, 
China mm. and some very sophisticated people, even those who might be on a bed in their mother's basement. <laughs> um, and and I, you know, I, I saw recent suggestions of let's break up the tech companies and let's do that, mm -hmm. which they're not particularly realistic. But we have to have certain common sense regulations as to standards that 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 companies should be following. But we have to it has to be a collaborative effort. This can't be just government says this because we know government has been notoriously miserable at enforcing this. Mm -hmm. You have the FTC who is now taking a, a positions where it's all about a privacy framework, which is Commerce Department, privacy framework, and then saying to companies, you have a right to have whatever policy, a privacy policy you want, provided that you disclose it in language that is not 23rd grade <laughs> English in mouse print, right. and that once you set that policy, you darn well better mean it. Right. But then there are issues where company A takes over company B, and company A right, has yeah. a different privacy policy, or as you had with Radio Shack, where they said, we're never going to share or sell your information. <laughs> right. Then they went bankrupt, and what's the first thing they did? They sold customer <laughs> information. Right. So we, we have to have a more sensible approach to that. GDPR, in a lot of ways, is incredibly awesome. Just like if you remember when California passed the first breach notification law, yeah. which then uh, moved across the country. We still do not have a federal breach notification right. law in the United States. We have 52 separate jurisdictions with breach notification laws, which is confusing to consumers and incredibly confusing to right. businesses yeah. that are operating. But at the same point, now I hate to give you, you know, both sides of the argument, but I have to, is that if you have a national breach notification law based on the history of how laws come out, it will be watered down. And you have a lot of senators and U.S. representatives from states, forgetting even the business industries, mm. uh, that go, hey, we have tough laws in our state. And if we're forced to be preempted by a federal law, we're not going to go for it. Right, yeah. But if you say the federal law is the floor, not mm -hmm. the ceiling, mm -hmm. this is not preemptive, but you have to have at least this, um, that's a good start. Right. What about maybe uh, some of the things I've kind of seen bandied about would be like privacy and security labeling, like kind of like we have nutritional labeling now on food, you know, some sort of a standardized way and a standardized format for individuals to look at and say, oh, well, this is not that great for me or this is or whatever. I could see the ingredients having some sort of, you know, as part of regulation, you know, information awareness and transparency, because, you know, nobody can nobody today can look at a product on a shelf and say, oh, that's secure or that's where this one's more secure than that one. But if there was some sort of a, maybe either a government body uh, you know, like FDA for for privacy and FDA and security uh, that could actually do some independent analysis and say, well, this pro, you know, this this product has this, this, and this, but doesn't have this, and so I could, you know, kind of do apples apples comparison. That that's one thing I've heard. Um, well, it, like Consumer Reports, for instance, right. has tried mm -hmm. to do that. Uh, Consumer Federation of America has tried to do that. Uh, the government is is nervous about doing that because there are so many factors that go into it. And again, the problem is that once you think you figured something out somebody tweaks it and then there's a real issue a while back i proposed something called a breach disclosure box based on the nutrition hmm. uh information and and the theory there was that any company that had suffered a breach within a five-year period 
would be required on the page that people would be transacting business with that company to disclose uh, what breaches they've had, what types of information was breached, hmm. and the kinds of uh, remediation options that they gave, that they they afforded their people. And some people said, well, that's a that would be a scarlet letter. Hmm. And I said, hmm. well, you know what? But if somebody did a really good job, you know, again, the way that companies are going to be judged about how they, and governments too, at the end of the day is, how well did you protect the data? But when you realized you had a problem, did you move right. urgently, transparently, and empathetically? Right. Certainly everything that Equifax did not do. Right. Um, right. <laughs> and, you know, causing them to disclose it, whether or not that thing would actually ever happen, the fact that it would cause a debate and force more and more people to say, well, how are we responding to these things? And what are the things that we can do together to make everyone more aware of the threats and more aware of the solutions that are provided. You know, at the end of the day, Bruce Schneier is one of the most quoted yep. and quotable people in our space once said, mm -hmm. if you think technology is the solution to your security problems, then you don't understand the technology and you don't understand the problem. <laughs> and it's really all about, and we go back to Peter Drucker, the ultimate management guru who said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. What we're really talking about here is how do we encourage in this country, in the household, in businesses, a culture of privacy and security, whether it's privacy by design, security by design, where everyone in a household, in a government agency, in a business feels they have a stake in privacy and security in their organization, that they own it. And it's their responsibility not only to protect them and their organization, but to really protect the greater good. And the most important thing that people have to get through their heads is just because you are in compliance does not mean you are secure. <laughs> right. And you could be secure at 9 o'clock, but at 9.01, <laughs> somebody could click on the wrong link. There are no victory laps in cybersecurity. <laughs> And it is it is a story that never ends. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Right. Okay, one last question. I'll let you go. This has really been fabulous. And that is, uh, in addition to Swiped, which is uh, a great book um, talking about the scams, what, what other resources might you recommend to folks, either books or online resources, uh, just to kind of help them get up to speed and, on how to protect themselves or maybe even react to some of these things? What are some of your favorite resources? Well, for instance, Bruce Schneier, who I mentioned mm -hmm. before, one of his many books is called Data and Goliath. Yes. Another one, Kevin Mitnick, mm -hmm. uh, who always kills me on the bestseller list. Every time I <laughs> do anything, I go, ah, Kevin's going to. But anyway, The Art of Invisibility, mm -hmm. uh, Brian Krebs, Spam Nation, mm -hmm. and frankly, Brian Krebs, you know, Krebs on Security. Yeah, Excellent. yeah. AdamLevin.com, if I could pitch. Yes. Uh, also... Uh, we, uh, Cyber Scout works with the Identity Theft Resource Center, San Diego, fabulous okay. organization, nonprofit. Uh, they produce a breach report. Uh, there is also Privacy Rights Clearinghouse. Uh, they produce information on this. The Consumer Federation of America has oh. idtheftinfo.org. Okay. Uh, which is uh, a wonderful site, but just go to Consumer Federation of America. They will direct you there which talks about the kinds of threats we face, the kinds of organizations that have signed up to be on the good guy list, uh, 
where disclosures are made that if you're going to mm. make a promise, you got to keep it. If you're going to give a statistic, you have to actually mean it. You can't use words like prevent because you can't. <laughs> and uh, so that's good. Also, the Federal Trade Commission has an interactive site where you could go to um, about identity theft. So these are things. Also, you know, go to Google, search out things. But before you go to anything you search out, read reviews on whatever it is, mm -hmm. because it may look like the recommended site. It may smell like the recommended site. But it may be a con. So that's why you have to be careful and always use the paraphrased Ronald Reagan thought, which is instead of saying trust but verify, when it comes to anything related to identity or cyber, never trust, always verify. Wow. Wonderful wise words. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Adam. I really, truly enjoyed that. And I had so many other questions I wanted to get to. So I'll definitely have to have you back in the future. Thank you, sir. big thank you to Adam Levin for taking the time to come on the show. He's a busy man. Uh, really great to have him on the show. Again, you've probably seen him and maybe not recognized who he was, but he's been on all sorts of different TV shows and done interviews about uh, cybersecurity and identity theft topics. So next time you see him pop up, you'll know who that is. Uh, he, at the very end there, he rattled off all sorts of resources, and I just want to kind of recap that um, quickly. He talked, of course, about his own website, his own book, uh, adamlevin.com, A-D-A-M-L-E-V-I-N.com. Of course, on his website, you can find his book, Swiped. Uh, he is also um, founder of CyberScout, so check out cyberscout.com. He mentioned a few different books, including one of my favorites, Bruce Schneier's Data and Goliath. Um, that's, a, that's a wonderful book and that I've often recommended. Kevin Mitnick is sort of a legend in the cybersecurity realm. Um, for a lot of social engineering attacks that he um, made famous back in the day. And uh, the, Art of the, the Art of Deception was his first really big book, I believe. And um, that is also on my reading list. I've got so many books I need to read. I, <laughs> I need like a month off just to catch up. Uh, but anyway, The Art of Invisibility sounds like a really good one. I'm definitely going to add that one to my list. And of course, he talks about Brian Krebs' Spam Nation, which I think I mentioned it before well. And is also sitting on my reading list, like right near the top that I have not gotten to yet. Uh, Brian Krebs also has a wonderful blog, which I've mentioned multiple times here as well, called Krebs on Security. That's K-R-E-B-S on Security, Krebs. Uh, he does some really astounding journalism, uh, some really in-depth investigative stuff. Uh, he must have some really great contacts. So um, he's broken lots of big stories in the cybersecurity realm, uh, many of which I've covered here. So uh, that's a great uh, blog to follow. And then he mentioned a few other websites, which um, I may have run across, but uh, they all look really good. I checked them out. They all look very interesting. So uh, there's the Identity Theft Resource Center, uh, Consumer Federation of America, and the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse. Now, all of this stuff, if you're not in a position to write it down now, can be found on the podcast website, which is podcast.firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com, which, of course, is the sister site to my main site, firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com, where the blog and the newsletter and the book and my own list of resources can all be found. So there's a lot of great stuff there. But a lot of people probably just, you know, they fire up their podcast app, whatever that is, and it automatically downloads and you play the episode. Uh, but there's a lot of information you can also get um, on the website. So, um, today in particular with, with this one, I've got links to all those resources on the podcast notes. So check that out and that'll wrap it up this week. Thank you again. Again, we'll have a nice, big, beefy news story, uh, news show for you next week. And as always folks, stay safe out there. 
and don't get caught with your drawbridge down.